don't know what that's about. Just a cop's joke. That was it. Oh, about how the cops make lots of black ghosts? Yeah, I think that's the one. <laughs> that's, that's a much better joke than I had. No, I was just thinking, like, black ghosts are the cops, but yes, wow. <laughs> Those two exchanges are your cold open, you're welcome. Yeah, that's going that- in there as cold open now. Listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that punched out a priest as a child. I'm your host, Fletcher Arnett, and with me this week is. Chris. And Matt. And today we are talking about Cyborg 009, the Cyborg Soldier, episodes 6 through 10. Uh, I have been told that everyone is not as fond of the crazy, goofy, one off episode as I am, so we will speed through 06 Search for the Professor. I didn't say I'm not fond of it. I'm just saying there's an extreme amount of detail. Like, all of this is they're painting the boat and they're all doing different stuff on it. (laughs) I mean, they spend a lot of effort on that scene in terms of, like, you know, drawing it at least. Look, you gotta fill 20 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) this this does have some... Especially given that it hilariously does not matter because the entire thing is painted solid white later. White and red. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyhow, yeah, the Zero Zeros are painting the Black Phantom because why would you not paint the thing that's in the colors of the company that destroyed your life? Also, stop naming everything almost the same as the villain. Black Ghost, <laughs> Black Phantom, gotta knock it off. Well, that I mean, was... it, it came from the same organization. Yeah, that was Black Ghost's name but, for it. But, the, but then they do rename it. <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> yes, it they is. They name it after a GameCube emulator. Uh, uh, wait nice. until you guys have stopped putting on the dub, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean I've been subs the whole way. Okay, yeah. There's a bit later about that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah uh, uh, but- it you get a lot of the style of the people involved. Jets drawn a World War II bomber style on the front. Oh, yeah. GB is making a mod's wet dream, just a psychedelic pastiche. I think you mean Hell he yeah. painted a bullet bill on it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, all of them start getting into fights over what should be drawn where. <laughs> and before uh, anyone can conclude these stuff, Gilmore wanders by and is wondering where the hell Kazumi is. He has not returned from running errands. So Can't believe a few we skipped of... the part where the black guy did Asian face. Oh, uh, yeah. Puma gets I mean, like, paint dumped on him. Yeah. Which must have hurt like a motherfucker. I mean, I know they're cyborgs, but like a whole paint can full of paint must have been at least like, what, 10 pounds? 15 pounds? They make I paint cans that are like five, dude. Come on. I don't know. I haven't painted anything in a while. It's just, I know they're heavy. Could be a jug. 
painting on a jug. Anyway, a few of the team head out in a car on recon and find Kazumi's re- vehicle and hat on the side of a road with tire tracks leading away. It looks like he was kidnapped. Uh, the tire tracks, uh, so they hop in their car, follow the tire tracks, uh, which end over a cliff, like, clearly they, it has driven off the cliff, uh, GB just says, I can't, I think, think they went all Thelma and Louise, uh, very good. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. From the, from the, uh, the height they're at, they can see a nearby mansion, and they agree that it is the best place to investigate in the middle of what would otherwise be, like, a just large, nondescript forest. GB, Joe, and Albert are the only ones who uh, go in. Uh, a green-haired woman greets them. A very generic anime lady. is like the lady you think of when you just think a generic anime lady. It does definitely uh, look like a Scooby-Doo mansion on the inside. And uh, the lady just says, I haven't seen any cars. Uh, GB is just hitting on her. Everyone else is very suspicious, uh, refusing to drink anything, and uh, noticing she doesn't reflect in the mirrors, and they all feel someone watching them. Uh, she the, does... the mirror thing they're pretty subtle about too which i actually are you are they the first time are the first they? time like the first time like they just they don't remark on it they just cut to a scene of a of a reflection and you can only see the other two characters like it's it's more subtle than you usually see in anime there's a giant black cloud with yellow glowing eyes is that subtle i mean the first time you see the mirror thing they don't show that oh that's true yeah i guess i did not notice the first time and only noticed the other ones oh no yeah, that's exactly the thing. <laughs> it's that's <laughs> after the tea, they leave, uh, and at which point they uh, dress up in their cyborg suits and then sneak back in the under the cover of darkness. Yeah, Chibi is so fucking insufferable in this episode. Just unbelievably annoying. Just talking about how badly he wants to bang this lady and right. how much she should leave her husband. Like tells her straight to her face, "Leave your husband for me, please." <sighs> Yeah, uh, this is not his finest hour. No, he's he's the worst. Um, so yeah, they're they're back in the house, but uh, the woman is clearly aware of them. Uh, she's looming over an ominous chessboard with uh, three white pawns and a bunch of other pieces, you know, black pieces that she will move around on the board towards them. Uh, and like as she's moving these pieces, uh, the walls in the mansion rearrange like uh, this is House of Leaves. They could shot i guess um and after a bit they feel like they're going in circles and that's when shit gets really wild uh the first thing that happens is the house begins shuddering and the hallway runner begins rising up after them like a tsunami like you know you can kind of think this this kind of reminded me of like aladdin when like uh the whatever the cave the first cave like starts like melting hmm I'm just going to call it double, 007 because that's easier to say than 007. Uh, he panics and uh, flees. The other two uh, try to fire their ray guns at this uh, rug and nothing happens. Uh, they dodge over it, but uh, they uh, find themselves behind uh, the tide of the wave and uh, GB is swallowed up by it. However, uh, you know, because he's the shapeshifter, he emerges from like the rolled up uh, rug, like flattened, but unharmed, like the sort of old school gag of like being pancaked. My child thought this was incredibly funny. It's goofy. It's meant to be like cartoonishly goofy. So that that tracks, honestly. But yeah, GB is still, you know, trying to defend this woman and say, clearly, it's just a home security system, which what the fuck? Which honestly, it's like surprisingly robust commentary from this show about the horrifying security state that ADT will turn your house into. 
You know, having never mm-hmm. been around something like that, like I've never known anyone with a security system. I knew some jobs that had the panels. You got any uh, got any stories? I've I'm completely clueless. Oh no, they're just a nightmare. Like if a bird flies into your window, your alarm goes off because it's like uh got lasers over the surface of the glass to detect warping, like if it's been broken. Uh, but they are mm-hmm. hypersensitive. Uh, you want cops at your house a lot? That's a way to do it. Yikes! Yeah, it is a way of paying a company to turn your house into a Walmart where the cops become your LP department. Yikes! Mm-hmm. Not great. No. Anyhow, also, that was a oh. really ridiculous, dumb joke. Of course, they don't give your house like acid baths and whatever. Look. If you yeah. told me they would make, like, weird Home Alone, oh no, the stairs have turned into a ramp stuff, I would believe we're at the point where you could get that tech. So things go awry pretty fast from here on. Uh, a staircase starts dumping them onto a pit of steel spikes, which they only avoid because GB turns his limbs into octopi legs to stick to the wall. Mm-hmm. Even he has to admit they're in enemy territory at this point. The whole place stops obeying the laws of time and space at this point, with walls collapsing, spaces looping endlessly, and vacuums of the void between rooms a few times. This is the first really blatant animation reuse. Mm -hmm. But eventually they break out of a compactor trap and find themselves in a room full of pictures. Black and white pictures of the lady and the gentleman. And it kind of looks turn of the last century to be fair yeah i think gb like calls out like oh there's like horse-drawn carriages and stuff yeah there's carriages it has a it might be britain depending on some of them they don't say yeah where it is uh the dub claims this is like ah the civil war but it's like what no you're still in japan that's not a thing so there's there's letters from the man. Uh, it becomes very clear he died a while ago in whatever war this was, and she's mm-hmm. not supposed to be here. Yeah. And at this point, the walls begin cackling, and she just says, It was rude of you not to tell me your name, 004, 007, and 009. Because mm-hmm. she is the next model Black Ghost Cyborg, 0012. Kozumi was never here and is in fact en route to Tokyo as another trap, but the cyborgs hear this and realize there's no need to hold back, just starting to smash their way forward. I do love the villain line of, Fools, you can't escape my body! Too horny. I'm making him a too horny right now. Uh, oh, buddy, speaking of too horny, uh, a bunch of uh, shoots open up on the wall. Uh, acid starts pouring down, and she says, "Like you're in my belly now." Um, the acid climbs. Yikes. The climbs. Uh, acid starts climbing up in the room. A uh, portrait catches on fire, and uh, then GB says, "Well, if I'm digested here, I'll be a part of her body forever." Is that not a kind of love? Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't. No, thank you. I don't write down a lot of individual lines, but when I heard that, I had to rewind and make sure I got that one precise. <laughs> oh, it, it was standout enough that I DM Fletcher to make sure it was included in the notes. Uh, <laughs> it was. As the uh, uh. so the trio uh, focus fire on a single spot in the wall to ex- uh, escape. 
more chaos ensues and they all and then eventually they all find themselves in the main hall again uh then the uh walls start doing like an ultrasonic wave attack aimed at them to uh immobilize them uh and uh but luckily joe's senses are just a little bit sharper than everyone else's he's able to figure out where the origin point of the sound is he pops into an accelerator mode and obliterates a mirror at the top of the resident evil style stairs behind the stairs and behind the mirror the crew gets to see the real 0012 which is a whirling mass of cables and dynamos with a glass coffin on top of it which is keeping the body of this actual woman alive on life support like, i presume she wasn't like modified at all she's just that's her body there so uh the the walls reveal their form as more wiring and metal and gb tries to uh save the woman because he's i i mean i guess he's still horny for her or i guess at this point he's just like oh she needs to be saved and at this point the entire chamber just bursts into flames from this point on uh 0012 is silent uh whether because she's either dead or not functional we don't know we just know that the whole building uh has stopped shifting but it is getting more and more on fire and uh the cyborgs leave as the inferno climbs the building uh gb is first to see something that he claims impossible which is the silhouettes of the lady and the guy from the photographs uh sort of floating above the mansion and uh nobody has an explanation uh for this and uh more weird shit happens when the whole structure begins to shrink into the ground and the flames instantly vanish as uh, a wall of wind surrounds everything and uh basically just the whole mansion disappears there's just no remnants of this place when it's done yeah, yeah, it's entirely ghost. Ha- like, <laughs> this is the uh, strength ship of a mansion. <laughs> yeah, essentially. So G- GB is the last to walk away from the scene. Uh, when he uh, he looks back sadly and is furious about what happened to this woman, uh, he speeds off and we're treated to a very brief shot of Doctor uh, Kazumi tied up in the back of a car with goons about to enter a tunnel near Tokyo. And so we start episode seven, Defeat the Invisible Enemy. I actually think it's fascinating that they changed the opening monologue here, because Punma is sitting on the edge of a construction site at sunrise, talking about how, what I know about humans is this is our only home. What's going to happen to us? Even though God oversees an infinite number of worlds, we think God is only ours. Out of all the universe, he only chose one world, thought he should shape it, installed a variety of planets around it, and gave us life, and that's how God created Earth. So, the dub clearly does not want to touch God, uh-huh. but they almost come up with something good here, because it's instead, what is it about humans that makes them see everything as theirs? Our city, my country. The sun is surrounded by planets, but it doesn't own the galaxy. Every star is part of a whole. It's a system in a vast universe. No star claims it owns the universe. But humans, humans are like that. We can still be bought and sold. Maybe that'll never change. Well, you see, there's a difference between personal and private property. I I liked the the God monologue at the beginning of this. Uh, Just none of it really bears through the rest of the episode. (laughs) 
It's... I don't think, anyway. Basically the first thing you've gotten from Punma that's more than two lines of dialogue, though. So I, I kind of dig that. And a lot of swimming. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's good for his character. But we we cut back and zoom out a little, and he's not alone. Francois is with him on top of this uh, skeleton of a building. Even at dawn, though, the noise of Tokyo is overwhelming all her senses. They thought they were going to search for Kazumi at daybreak, but a 2000s-era metropolis is way more than she's ever been around in her life, and it's wrecking havoc on her. From the sky, Jet's doing passes himself, but he can't pick up any signs either. He is the first to ask, how in the hell are the police not on this? Kozumi is world famous, and Punma simply says, Black Ghost is pulling all the strings. I like how you can read this as, Black Ghost owns the cops, which I do think is the case, since it's canon in some of the stories. Or maybe just, the cops ain't got shit on Black Ghost. I mean, it doesn't matter, because either way, the cops are the bad guys, which we all know is true. Uh, yeah, I should have added that <laughs> note at this point, too, because there's another one later on that solely says... <laughs> I meant in general, not in the show. Oh, I know. I know exactly. Uh, well, we got that one out of the way early. Uh, Cy Cyborg009 says ACAB. Mm, kind of does. <laughs> All cuticles are bad. Uh, I tried to come up with something better, but it went off the rails when my brain said cuticles. Uh, not, I mean, there's not a lot of finger content in this particular show. This is not like JoJo's. <laughs> That's a sense. Oh no, you forgot JoJo's with the fingernails opened up like a fucking <laughs> trap door and all the veins shot out. Oh, 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 oh Chris, you're gonna uh, you're gonna like you're gonna like uh, the not, second part of Lovers then because not gonna uh, like, vein not vein gonna stuff like, comes back. Not gonna like. Uh, <laughs> we got to Yasu Sama uh, wandering the streets, uh, very hungry, bemoaning that Tokyo is such a hard place, and oh, if only fortune would smile upon me. Uh, and then some fucking rando walks out of a bakery with a ba bag of bread, and uh, he begins chasing him down the road for food. There's, like, that good comedy gag where they, like, step sideways at the same time and then both sprint off like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a uh, bit of foreshadowing here when Yasu fails to catch him and collapses, saying, you're faster than you look. A familiar voice interjects, saying Yasu hasn't changed a bit. We look up, and uh, it's uh, Joe, uh, who Yasu knows from the past. Uh, they were both hoodlums in the orphanage, where he uh, punched out the priest that took care of them for kind of no reason. Uh, uh -huh. It's a lot. Yeah. This uh, flashback's uh. a lot. Also, the part where they, I definitely thought they were going to imply he actually burned down the church, but with fireworks. Uh-huh. Because uh, there's that bit where they replace all of his holy votive candles with fucking fireworks. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe and Yasu uh, were hellraisers. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, we catch up to the end of the flashback and Yasu straight up goes, uh, I thought you were the one who killed him because of that time you punched him. Uh, which is a very large leap. Uh, <laughs> Joe is a little offended. Uh, bread guy is just kind of hanging out there carving something with a out of wood. Uh, Joe says, I wouldn't do that. I loved the pastor. Uh, he was good to me. And then Yasu starts going, you sure about that? The the bread boy, I guess we'll call him for now. Like, he he is, like, a really dopey-looking character. Like, I, I want to say, like, the closest thing I could think of was, like, the best friend in the Zitz comic. What if Gutsman was a person? 
he does have some guts man energy, but I see where Matt's coming. This guy does look like a newspaper comic strip character. He's got no eyes under a tuft of hair. Yeah. Like, Big, oh, yeah. beefy you, you type. Could, like a Ziggy? Yeah. Yeah, this is if yeah, Ziggy I, got swole. Hell yeah. Yeah. It looks really goofy, and then when this character becomes more prominent, I just can't buy it because he looks so goofy. <laughs> oh man, this is such a good episode, though. Yeah, I really love this arc. That's very good. Uh, <sighs> though, I'm not gonna lie, the, there should have been something between the moment and the ending so it was not so funny. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna punch you in the gut again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, well, there, there's, a, there's a specific shot, like, that's coming right up that they keep cutting back to that I just can't take seriously. Yeah, well, like, when, when he hands him the, the carving. Yeah, who cares? Or whatever. That's shit shit you buy for, bought for five dollars off Etsy. No one cares. Uh, so <laughs> he's, he's Yasu, so happy though. Yasu asked Joe, oh, "Look, when you're raised in a lab, you don't have a lot of time to realize that all tchotchkes are actually just trash that you pay for. Uh, <laughs> all you get to grow up with at uh, Black Ghost Laboratories is Funko Pops. No oh, real no. toys." Yasu asked Joe if he remembers what happens to the other orphans they grew up with, and he just goes, "Well, I thought they got adopted." Uh, and it turns out that Yasu and some of the others went to go meet their friends over the years. Uh, none of their mailing addresses were uh, actual places. They were just um, empty empty lots or abandoned buildings. Uh, the whole time this is happening, uh, Breadman is just uh, whittling some of this while it goes on. They basically, uh, Yasu says, like, the pastor was uh, possibly selling the kids off, <laughs> which is wow. Which makes Joe very upset. Uh, he stands Naturally. up. He stands up, and uh, Brig Guy also stands up in front of him uh, silently. So yeah, we're we're on the sea. There's a ship trying to hail another craft. Yeah, like somebody, uh, one of the crew says, like it's coming from the northeast, and the captain's like, uh, that can't be. There's nothing over there, and there's something on the radar though. And as it gets closer, they can see the wake of something going at high speed, and the captain thinks it must be underwater until it slams through their ship, upending it, and then it explodes. And then we cut back from there to uh, the bread guy besides Joe, and he's offering the uh, figure he whittled, which is a small rabbit. And Joe takes it. It's not even very good. <laughs> so Joe praises the work, and this guy lights up. He seems pretty shy. He's speaking as little as possible, but Joe's made his day. So he offers him some of the bread. Uh, Yasu starts <laughs> grabbing for the bread during this whole thing because Joe's rejecting it very nicely. And from a nearby rooftop, totally not Dr. Wily is looking down on them. Yeah, real Dr. Wily. We already have two guys that are Dr. Light. But it's like Dr. Wily, but also a clown. He that's does have Dr. a clown nose. That's called Dr. Wily, though. Dr. Wily got that clown nose. Uh, Dr. Wily looks more, whatever, vaguely, uh, what is it, Russian? <laughs> like, This guy is Dr. Wily as a mob doctor. Probably because of the fact that his name is Sharp and he carries a bunch of knives. <laughs> so, we actually see this guy start leaping across rooftops until he walks into the little park they're all at. This is how I assume all the old people at the gym are when they're not there. <laughs> Uh, this is great. Now you're making me imagine that hour before they open to the public currently for quarantine stuff is just a bunch of old people Naruto fighting off the walls and shit. 
uh, as someone that goes to <laughs> goes to the gym at four in the morning, that's not what it's like. Well, you've just damn it, you ruined it. I have one guy who looks like Phil, but more swole, and that's about the only people there at four in the morning. And there's a black guy who's always doing the stair machine. Those are the only people there every day at four in the morning. You ruined my happy Naruto paradise. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've I've definitely ran into uh like the head of my office at the gym once. It was a guy like 60 years old, and super awkward to run into uh, coworkers when you're naked in the gym in the locker room. I'm not gonna lie, old guys love just letting their dick hang out. Yes, it's like their favorite thing. It's a known phenomenon. I'll just say it. Not a joke. It is real. It's oh, extremely it's, real. Uh, I think all of us can attest to it. He knock knock open up the door. The dick's real. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Joe's just going. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I held your friend up, sir. We kind of kept him here. Uh, not Wiley. Just grabs the bread guy and leaves. So at this point, Yasu quietly tells Joe he's seen this guy before. This guy was at multiple of the sketchy adoption days. I've never forgotten that face, he says. Before we cut away, Yasu gets Joe's attention by saying, You know, if anyone wanted to look into that priest's murder and maybe prove their innocence, that guy seems like a good lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut back to the goon car from last episode, uh, with and Bread Guy and Dr. Wiley are inside now. They go, what took you so long? We ran into a uh, zero zero. What? Uh, and then they begin running through photos of the team uh, with Dr. Wiley saying, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. Bread guy's not saying anything. Uh, they do make fun of Ivan for being a baby. Which, <laughs> Take that, you piece of shit baby. Can't believe you're a baby. <laughs> it is <laughs> very a weird, weird thing. It is a weird <laughs> I, thing. I mean, absolutely. I complained about that last episode. Well, complained. I pointed it out. The gangsters think they're going to have no problem with the uh, with the uh, cyborgs because we have their friend hostage, uh, and Kazumi is just unconscious on the floor in the back seat. Uh, nobody has been able to find him because they've just kept him tied up and gagged in this car for like twenty four seven. Yeah, uh, and at this point, uh, Wiley says that's not the case. He recognized Joe from the uh, say- saying that he's was at the orphanage with that priest. You know, the one I killed. Uh, <laughs> you know, the one. And finally, no, no mystery whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and we get to see what happened at the church ten minutes before Joe showed up. Uh, Wiley uh, shivved the priest because he had been uh, because the priest had basically figured out that the adoption agency was uh, just black ghost and was going to tell the cops. So Wiley stabbed him. The goods tell Wiley to sit tight because their orders are explicitly to keep the zero zeros from interfering with the new project. And trying to kill a cyborg isn't uh, really going to keep them out of it. Uh, and besides, the new boss will probably do it when he gets in. Uh, as we cut away, the camera show us an incredibly uh, haggard Kazumi. Will Wiley ask, when's the new boss getting here anyway? Where's 13? Mm-hmm. So um, slowly we come to see that uh, a trio of the cyborgs have gone out in a mini sub to search for more clues. Uh, this is uh, Francois. Uh, Chang and uh, GB. It's uh, silent until uh, the last of them, uh, of GB, begins performing uh, Shakespearean sonnets because he sucks. Uh, <laughs> wow, culture is too much for Matt Marcus. <laughs> he does it's suck. just, he tries so hard. Also, like, Shakespeare sucks ass. Who gives a fuck? Eh, Shakespeare's fine. It's just like... Shakespeare the, wrote he, one he, good thing and it was called The Tempest. Fuck off. <laughs> like GB just has big theater kid energy, but like 
I don't know. Like whether he's or not that literally an actor. <laughs> no, I thought he was a writer. Yeah, he's a crisis actor. We get it, Fletcher. <laughs> wow. Oh uh, yikes. Oh god, that's a really that's an incredibly savage thought is Black Ghost making models like GB just to fuck with conspiracy people. Great. Thanks. Oi. Oi. Oh, a modern <laughs> but, reboot um, would be Wait, are you, are you trying to say just because there's a theater kid all the frogs he transforms into are gay? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so GB's recitation of Shakespeare uh, does uh, cheer up Francois a little bit. Uh, but then she gets back to business saying, uh, we will still need to check cargo ship sinking. It might be connected to Black Ghosts because, duh. And uh, GB starts doing uh, another poem about how uh, Gilmore seeks Black Ghost in everything, or sees Black Ghost in everything. I do want to give props to the dub. They create an entirely new one, which rhymes, and he does sing it. So, good effort. There has to be an anime middle ground of how suspicious you should be between the, like, JoJo's not at all suspicious of stand use stands and this uh-huh. suspicious of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I also um, do love that they are calling out, hey, Gilmore is jumping at every single shadow ever when he's not even the one being targeted. Yeah, he, he definitely is extremely anxious about everything. I mean, granted, you know, seeing how, like, omnipresent uh black ghost is uh, i would i would understand that but uh gb is interrupted by uh punma who it knocks on the window of the sub which understandably uh makes him scream and uh for what it's worth um it is kind of a dick move that punma didn't just you know radio in or telepath in whatever however these guys communicate with each other um but it seems like whatever's down there left very very big footprints so we cut to the docks where the goon squad parks and just kicks Kazumi out of the back seat. Machine Gun, one of the mooks, has gotten a telepathic message from 13 to meet them there. I believe we called him Machine Gun. <laughs> the other guy extends binocular eyeballs to see a shadow in the water, which flings itself ashore in a cloud of nothing. I'm glad his binocular eyeballs pay off later. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good scene. I enjoy that whole thing. And 0013 is invisible, although it does still have some kind of form. We can see it cast a shadow that moves in some of the lights. Kazumi, deciding that he wants nothing to do with this, takes a chance while everyone is odd and makes a run for it. But 13 is also large as hell, and it just reaches out an invisible claw, hooking him into midair by his suit. They do a good job faking you out this episode where you think the giant robot is 13. Yeah, I I really love that, and I actually left that in the notes, because I figured we'd cover that next time. Especially since none of the mooks know otherwise. What do you mean next time? We're covering this in this episode, right? Well, in the next episode. You know, oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I wrote this one not revealing it, and then the next one, it's like, yeah, we get into that. I mean, the, the thing that is notable, they did mention earlier, like, oh, when is 13 going to get there, and, like, the, the kid's right next to him. <laughs> Well, they don't know that, right? They don't know. That's the point, is that they didn't know that. Back at the ship, um, some of the cyborgs are chatting amongst themselves. Uh, A few aren't sure if the footprint really means that there is something so large out there. Um, They say it'd be easier to find a massive cyborg than a single old man if that cyborg exists. Uh, Gilmore comes in and agrees, 
And he also says, like, hey, you're right, this whole thing might be a wild goose chase, but I'm guilty that I put my friend in danger, so I really just want to save him, because it's kind of our fault. Uh, they give the order to everyone still in the field, come in for the night, and before Joe can make his way back, the uh, goon car sees him, and uh, they try to get his attention, but uh, Wiley goes off half-cocked and attacks him, uh, jumping up across the warehouse roofs, uh, very clearly modified. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh there's some banter but uh sharp makes the mistake of trying to outspeed uh joe in his uh accelerator mode who uh the instant he sees a bullet heads his way uh, heading his way he speeds behind uh sharp and cox's ray gun and tells him to uh spill the beans uh everything he knows about what was going on with the priest so the goons in the car look at this situation and go, uh, we're getting the fuck out of here. But before they could drive off, the uh, earthquakes and buildings explode, uh, like the ground cracks, and it's because uh, 0013 is coming to intervene. Joe tries to get out of the way, but uh, some of the force uh, being used, like it, it, he loses his footing because the, the ground splits open and he starts hanging uh, onto the edge of a crevasse. Then something from under the earth launches him out of the crevasse. Sorry. And in the smoke and dust, uh, Joe can make out the shape of something really large, but uh, clearly not visible. Uh, and there's footprints showing up at the concrete heading his way, and he runs away. Uh, it does catch up to him, but uh, it does hit a power line, and in the blast of electricity, Joe can see the whole shape of it, and this is like... This is kaiju level thing. Like this thing is like the size of skyscrapers. The design is very sixties robot. Uh, Gigantor is the comparison I make in our notes. If yeah, you're familiar, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, it's a really simple, large body robot with limbs. It's like an upside down egg. Is like the big thing with Gigantor's body. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Joe realizes that uh, he, there's no way he's going to win this fight, especially because it's not visible. So he accelerates away and uh, then a massive splash right in front of him lets on that he's not going to be able to get away from uh, this fight either. Uh, however, he gets a lucky break, which is uh, 13 is now covered in mud, so uh, he can now make out the shape of it. One burst of accelerator later, he gets a shot onto the head and takes aim for the kill and that's when the robot whips out Kazumi and uses him as a human shield. Uh, Joe then takes a cheap shot when he uh, diverts his gun, but the uh, robot makes a noise and just digs underground. Uh, and it basically could have killed Joe and decided not to. And that is the end of the episode. And that takes us into the... I would say probably the first really good episode of the show, Zero Eight Friend. Uh, before we continue, I need to escape, let the joke escape that I can't believe Sonic is so excited about Ramadan all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he just gotta go fast. <laughs> I thought about that when Joe accelerated away. Uh, that's it. Carry on. <laughs> you know what? You made me laugh. Yeah, I've, I, I've seen that. that How joke dare before. you? Pretty good. Fuck. Pretty good. It's a good one. Uh, so this one begins <laughs> in an entirely different story. Look, Matt, the field of Sonic OC is highly competitive. Uh-huh. <laughs> Probably. Especially if you have a common name. Uh, yeah, I've definitely looked mine up once. 
I just want you to imagine a Keyblade graveyard-style field, and on it are just drawings stretched out endlessly of and Chris cold, the Hedgehogs and cold, from ages past. And Cold Steel the Hedgehog is standing up on top of the pillar and says, Nothing personnel, Sora. <laughs> Uh, so we get to episode 08, Friend. This one starts in a whole different story. A man in a limo is being driven to a mansion, and when his chauffeur tells him they're nearly there, this guy puts on what is totally not a clan hood. Plenty of people are here in a bunch of similar suit and hood combos, all to hide their IDs, and everyone here is sympathetic to the ideals of Black Ghost. Eventually, we see the person lecturing this crowd is Skull, and they are here to see a demonstration of a new weapon. The screen shows 13 assaulting 009 last episode. I can't believe you didn't describe the interior where everything is cast entirely in black and white, including, like, the silhouettes of, like, sharks and squids, like, swimming around in the giant aquarium room they're in. It's fucking mm-hmm. lit. Yeah, it, this is a like, wild scene. Yeah, it's huge, like... Oh, it was like Bond villain energy with like all the silly. I'm like, glad they finally stuff. decided what if something didn't look like shit and this is what they came up with. Mm-hmm. So I have been trying to find some of the 60s adaptation of this show. Uh, I can only get bits and pieces, especially because obviously it was never a thing that was really reprinted. That's not what happened with anime from that era. But. Uh, I really suspect the black and white is an homage to that, especially with all the very goofy cartoon designs and the fact that, you know, again, perfectly black and white. Back in the present, uh, Joe has returned to the current hideout and Gilmore is trying to figure out what what they even ran out into, uh, given what they know of the other Black Ghost projects. Um, one of the only good UIs in anime, uh, where it's just actually a table to display tabular data. Love it. They eventually realize that the robot is just translucent and not invisible, and um, the easiest way for that to happen is to make the outside mirror itself. So this is just uh, like Metal Gear Solid 4 camo. Mm-hmm. So heat differentials in the air, so they just want to hit it basically with a missile to uh, create thermal scattering. Um, the big issue they have, though, is uh, if it has Kazumi as a hostage, uh, which not just a hostage, like on a fucking cross, uh, they can't just destroy mm-hmm. it in a show of force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from there, we go back to the uh, Black Ghost showroom where Skull is saying that the best thing he can do to really get a sense of scale of this thing that he's trying to sell to these prospective buyers is... Uh, you know, create an earthquake in Tokyo, you know, just for shits and giggles. So he unleashes 0013 on the city and it just straight up blasts itself across the city about for about a mile, splitting the earth and dropping buildings in its past. So just straight up murders, like probably tens of thousands of people. It's yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's like, holy shit. Uh, underground, the, uh, the uh, other cyborgs uh, see this and immediately realize that it isn't a natural disaster because the epicenter of the earthquake is moving and realizing how dangerous uh, being under the earth is right now, they raise up the ship. 
Well, uh, with some teasing, Francois reveals that she gave the ship its name, and uh, <laughs> Jet, um, like Jet, hates it uh, because uh, Punma like calls it out, just calls it to, uh, you know, calls the ship to go hard to the surface, and refers to it as Dolphin. So she named the ship Dolphin. <laughs> Uh, for the record, I was very upset next episode when the guy said we need to do an emergency ascent to flood the ballast, which is the opposite of how you do that. Yep. I was thinking that myself when the episode was going nerd. on, but I thought it might be too nitpicky of me. It's not even being a nerd. 30 seconds <laughs> earlier, they say we need to make an emergency dive, flood the ballast, and then they say we need to make an emergency ascent, flood the ballast. You know one of them is wrong, even if you don't know which one. Yeah, <laughs> and that is in both translations, so clearly someone who wrote this just didn't know what. Rip. Uh, Paul is going to be so bad. <laughs> as, as they lo- launch and uh, hit the skies, uh, everyone is horrified when they reach the city and actually see Tokyo uh, straight up eating shit. Uh, Too it's on fire, buildings are collapsing. Uh, it's straight up Shin Godzilla right now. Uh you can skip that. Okay. I mean, look. I know a lot of people I would describe as that. <laughs> well, now I have to read it. I was just trying to make you guys laugh. Uh, I, I, My spell check apparently thinks sisaster is a real word, because until I pasted these notes into Google Docs, it never corrected my typo on my computer. <laughs> that, that has to be a thing. Well, we're talking about jokes that took all of my willpower to not interrupt the podcast to say, but damn, that crevasse, though. Because Matt said <laughs> crevasse instead of crevice. Uh, but anyway, back in the showroom, Skull is giving a speech. Uh, he says, all of this destruction from a single invisible black ghost creation. And uh, he continues uh, the spiel as uh, we see shots of all of the carnage. This is probably the most chilling Skull has been because he just started leveling one of the biggest cities on the planet, all in the name of going, would you like to buy five? <laughs> yeah, like, th- that's the thing. The end game just turns into, like, any country can just r- erase a city, like, invisibly, just all the time. Like, this just seems like a huge nightmare. Yeah. Okay, um, but it might be a nightmare, but line go up. That's <laughs> very much the Black Ghost ethos, yes. Yeah, I just wonder how much of this is supposed to be a deterrent. And how much of this is actually... No, we actually want the countries to absolutely destroy each other. Um, Black Ghost definitely does. Yeah, I guess it's war profiteering. Yeah, they are unambiguously amoral profiteers off of every kind of horrible... We're going to find out later they're slave traders. Great. They are explicitly dealers of human misery. (laughs) So, back on the ship, the Zero Zeros have clearly been investigating the Dolphins' features because they're now flying above the city in a similar camo to that of the 13 Robo. Uh, Jet is continuing to get pissy every time someone calls it the dolphin, and every time we do, the camera cuts to a new toy or sticker someone has hung or plastered around the place. It's the same one every time. It's the same dolphin necklace. No, they cut to, there's a decal on the window, there's one hanging from the roof like it's uh, off of the rearview mirror, like a little charm. There's a few of them. 
The best plan anyone has right now is to detonate a heat bomb from the dolphin on the thing. The effect of the temperature change will screw up with the refractive camo so they can find it and hit it. Unfortunately, Gilmore is super hung up on how dangerous this would be to Kozumi right now. He says, we have to hold off, and whoever goes in to fire this thing needs to be exceedingly careful. He is clearly wrecked with guilt, and he does not want any harm to come to his buddy. But Joe has an epiphany and decides to try something. He says if he's allowed to go out solo, he can rescue Kazumi. Gilmore very hesitantly agrees, but after he's gone, everyone else decides without Joe that whether or not he succeeds, they're going to use the bomb plan soon, because this thing is only going to continue destroying Tokyo. So all parties um, initiate their plan. Uh, GB starts. Uh, he fires the bomb. Uh, he's hilariously the first person to call out. Uh, do you think this crow with a rocket launcher is a bit conspicuous? And uh, elsewhere, Skull begins flipping out as his Cybertruck's bulletproof window shatters live in front of potential investors. Um, <laughs> of note, this is uh, when he says, call in uh, 13 and send the robot underground. Uh, which is the first hint that we really have that the giant robot is not 13. Joe, unaware his companions have already uh, started firing the robot, is at the robot, is uh, wandering the streets. Uh, he hears a kid crying and goes full Kiryu trying to get her to safety. Uh, then suddenly he hears a voice saying uh, 009 this way, and uh, we, the audience, can see it's uh, 13, the bread guy. Uh <laughs> He's let out of the city, and it becomes clear that not all of the uh, ghost goons know that the robot isn't 13 either, because why would you tell that? Because you sell the big robot, not the kid. However, two of them figure out in time that he's psychically tipping off of Joe to save the child. Fletcher, you missed it earlier where I conflated Pakistan and uh, Palestine. Ooh, that's a mix-up. <laughs> that, 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 that happened. Uh, <laughs> another Anne Frank moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, I'm to leave it in too because it was very funny. Joe follows the voice, uh, and it takes him up a long staircase to uh, what looks like a Shinto temple up on the, like, a cliffside by the ocean. And uh, the goons are there. Uh, Thirteen is there. Joe gets cornered uh, at the cliff, you know, in front of the ocean. Again, this seems to be a thing with him. Uh, <laughs> Sharp has a gun. He says, uh, "You do you want to go out with a bullet, or should I kill you the same way I did the priest?" Joe does the usual uh, teasing info out of the enemy who thinks he has you cornered move. And uh, the goons say that the uh, the priest was just as dark as everyone else because it is a sin to be naive, too. And this uh, sets Joe off. And all Sharp could say is uh, there are a lot more uh, people like me who. Um, That's a direct quote. It's so weird. Who thrill to this than you can imagine. I for the record, <laughs> shout outs to the show explaining why children are born guilty in Catholicism. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> born naive. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, he's saying like people people get uh get their kicks off of uh other people's misery, and that's why Black Ghost exists. Uh because you know, that is Black Ghost is our original sin, apparently. And uh and that's when uh, even the mooks realize uh, that the uh, bread kid is 13 and 13 decides to just clean house here. Uh, just a little note. They actually call out in the translation, but I was going to anyway. 
the shrine this whole thing is taking place at is the Ishinomori Shrine, named for the original author of 009. Nice. So at this point, 13 has taken out his comrades, like, disabled them. Nobody, um, I think nobody is dead at this point. Uh, he takes the child from Joe and just gives her another little wooden carving he made at some point, sets her on a swing nearby. Joe lays it out really plainly. I don't want to fight you. We can both just leave. And 13 is refusing to back down. So the pair of them accelerate into a duel. I, I feel like 13 is completely undermotivated here. Is it? Is it just me? <laughs> so we do get an explanation for things, and I'll cover a little more of that in the post-episode wrap-up. Because I, I feel like I, I watched this and I went like, it, this isn't a case like with a, like 11 or 12 where, well, like 11, it was like being coerced into fighting. And this just seems like he's just fighting because that's his job. I, there's not enough character here to really get a sense of why 13 is doing what they're doing. So they made a change in the adaptation that makes this a little more tragic for a different reason. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. Um, I really love this scene because they don't show us the fight for the vast majority of it. We're seeing the effects around the shrine, blows are being landed, roof tiles are disintegrating, noises of impact, but all we see is the child crying in fright as all this is happening. And then cool. the remaining conscious goon the guy with the telescope eyes, whose were destroyed, gets up and draws his sword. He can't see anything, but he can hear the sounds of a Zero-Zero model accelerating, and that means he can get in a blow. So we briefly see a shot of the fight. Thirteen is way faster than Joe, to the point that he's constantly leaving after images in accelerator mode. And... It all comes to a stop when 13 leaps in front of the guy's blade, sparing Joe at the cost of a blow to the back. 13 finishes this guy off for his trouble. At this point, Joe's pleading with him. 13 clearly does not want to kill Joe or harm the innocents. Uh, Joe just wants him to walk away. Uh, and this is when the uh, giant robot rises up from the ground with Kazumi in one metal fist. And uh, 13 has uh, the robot set Kazumi free. Uh, he explains the robot moves like my shadow, but there's he cannot make it betray Black Ghost. Um, there's your explanation, Matt, is basically that the robot is hardwired to obey and they are psychically linked. Uh, I guess. Sure. It's an anime. What do you want? <laughs> you can't okay. get the dramatic them crying in the rain scene if it, it works that way. Mm -hmm. The 13 the robot pull a Joe and fling themselves into the sea and then explode. Uh, mm -hmm. Joe rushes into the water, pulling 13 out. He gets one brief conversation with him where 13 asks, 009, what was your real name? And uh, Joe tells him, and before he can get 13's name in response, uh, the hand slips out of his own, uh, indicating that he is dead. Um, a good touch from the translators here is that the subtitles have Joe going from saying 0013 to simply the word 13 here. Uh, because he refuses to treat him like he belongs to Black Ghost in death. So, this arc has changed a little bit from the manga. It's a tragedy in both styles, but 
in the original work, 0013 is nearly mute, able to make sounds, but he can't speak. He only communicates through the robot, which is just a big gigantor near-invincible thing rather than invisible. And it's made that it's outright designed to explode if he betrays Black Ghost. So, to make him more of a character, they made him very shy, but just a broken dude who destroyed himself rather than believe he could betray the organization. Uh, the final scene is pretty similar, but since 13 can't speak with the robot being destroyed, he just writes, I wanted to be your friend into the dirt as his dying action. Since you guys are probably going to skip the clip show episode at the end of the season... An incredibly brutal detail from Gilbert's notes is that he was considering trying to recruit 13 as an ally before they had to flee after Joe's breakout. Oh, does the clip show contain additional context? Not really. This is the only note I can think of from my first watch of this when I was getting all the stuff together. But there's a sketch in the episode one ending sequence of 13 in the red coat and yellow scarf. And it's just a nice, brutal detail when you have that end-of-season capstone that explains, why the fuck was that there? Mm-hmm. Okay, that... I mean, I, I could believe that. Yeah. It's... I don't know, just tonally, it's such a weird episode. I think this is where the show really hits its stride. Yeah, for real, what's wrong with you, Matt? Like, I, it's definitely, like, the one of the better episodes. It's just, it's also one of those things where I'm like, Joe, you realize that he's controlling a like I, I guess like what what does it mean to like be a cyborg and be controlled by things but it's like dude just blew up a whole city why are you letting him go because he clearly is not fond of what he's doing he was just surrounded sure. by men who he thought would murder him yeah i, I don't think they sell that very well like i, I think like who lets the prize weapon that you're gonna make billions off of go to the bakery to yeah, be it's fair, it's also possible that he did that on his own. The guy has a super speed accelerator and uh, mm-hmm. Sharp was clearly looking for him. He might have just skipped town when they parked the car. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he just likes bread that much. It wasn't regular bread. There was stuff in it, which is hilarious that it was drawn as baguettes, because really what it is is it's like um, Japanese pastries, like um, like the curry pastries and stuff, puff pastries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Delicious. This is how they describe it, but it's fucking baguettes. <laughs> uh-huh. uh. I can't believe they made a waterproof vacuum. What will they think of next? Oh, that's called a dirt devil. Never mind. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, that takes us to episode nine, The Deep Sea Devil. Uh, the U.S. title is actually cooler. It's The Satan of the Deep Sea. Hell yeah. That's pretty rad. Yeah, uh-huh. most of the time they don't differ, but this one was like, oh, that's wild. Coming hot off the last episode, uh, Skull is talking to the scientists who worked on the 13 project. Uh, he praises them, calling them talented, hardworking men, and then said, uh, how did you fuck this up so bad? Oh my god, and, it's incredible. They uh-huh. get Zemnist. Uh-huh. Yeah, three three of the four of them just say, uh, this is all 13's fault, and... Uh, all of a sudden, yeah, the walls, like a million lasers come out of the walls and just flash fry them. It's incredible. Uh, it's really great. They leave uh, like fucking scorched body marks on the ground like like nuke victims. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, they, they should have known what was going to come when they went into the laser room. <sighs> but anyway. I thought this was where we trained. I didn't know it was literal a danger room. let's be honest if someone's opening a knife store now they call it knives out yeah <sighs> but anyway uh great movie but anyway the fourth doctor dr was belk it? is uh, yeah it was really good yeah uh, i enjoyed it yeah it's cool. a very good piece and i feel that i can sell this detective movie doesn't seem very cool. I'm going to watch the sequels to Godzilla 2014 instead. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you don't tell me you're watching that Netflix animated trilogy, I won't judge you. I'm thinking about it. <sighs> How bad? Are they really that bad? The first yes. one seems okay. The second and the third one seem to very go, go very off the rails. They have concepts that I could see being used well, but the writer is a hack. Mm-hmm. Oh, so he's an like, anime writer, you say? King Ghidorah being a god from another dimension that Godzilla can't fight because it's not in phase with reality is a That's sick so f- plan. That's so fucking stupid. But it does not work in execution. Well, no, because that, oh, oh, of course it doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's the level of writing you're getting to. Don't. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the last doctor, uh, he's asked the same question, and his response is, uh, "Well, clearly we didn't. We need to ha- enhance the robot more. If you let me you know, take another shot, I can uh, double, maybe triple the power of it. Just don't kill me, please." So Skull likes the sound of this and uh, assigns him to another uh, Black Ghost General as assistants. Basically, he's the guy who will uh, put a bull in the back of your head if you fuck up again. Uh, and his name is Zambroso. The instant Skull leaves, Zambroso just goes, God, you're a stain on your family. Uh, tell you what, you can have one of my fresh recruits and uh, walks off leaving Belk with the uh, biggest dipshit you could imagine. This and this guy really bothers me, Like, is like very like actually upsetting. Um, well, because he's this, such a toady. Well, no, he winds up being like a realistic depiction of who terrorists are, which are just like disaffected, angry young men. Yeah, yeah it's really it's really on the nose. Accurate. <laughs> In yeah. a way that is like off-putting. Uh, they're going to show you a lot of different sorts who work through for Black Ghost over the course of this series. And for every hammy general who's getting something out of this, there are going to be a lot of different people who came to this cause under weird promises and just kept going. Yeah. But yeah, this guy is, I mean, you know, he, he really makes me think of, uh, I don't know why. So something about his design, maybe it's just like the glasses reminds me of, uh, not not Melvin. What the fuck was his name? (laughs) No, the guy from sailor moon. Umino. Uh, Umino. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you said Tomino. Like you're just no, no, Tomino. Sorry. Oh, I, I heard, I heard Tomino, and I'm like, oh, yeah. He's Melvin in the English dub, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we're in, we're in a, in a cave, uh, hanging out outside the dolphin. Uh, Gilmore and Kazumi are having a chat, saying, uh, Gilmore says, uh, we have to leave now to uh, keep you from uh, getting killed as collateral damage, and he's like, oh, fine, come back sometime. Uh, 
and the uh, cyborg's best plan is that if they salvage the wreckage of the uh, 13 robot, they might be able to find a clue to black ghosts' faces and a new target to attack. Uh, before they arrive, though, Francois hears someone else out there, a black mini-sub, is taking the parts themselves, and everyone agrees the best trick is to wait and follow them rather than ruin their element of surprise, and Joe heads out in a mini-sub to trail it. Uh, with, uh, eight? Was that eight? Um, he's got Jet with him. Two. Uh, meanwhile, Ensign Dipshit nearly wrecks the robot with his sloppy pincer work. Uh, Belk slaps him and begins a monologue complaining about how he's just a fucking fail son. My father was a brilliant electrical engineer and my mother once lived next to Einstein, which, like, uh-huh. Okay, not a very good claim to fame. That doesn't make your mother great. Yeah, this is... Uh-huh. Belk sucks so much, I love it. <laughs> the dimwit duo get the core and begin returning to their main vehicle, but Joe and Jet get caught in a bit of a mess, because Belk has passed through something that only allows Black Ghost Fleet access. Uh, a bunch of robotic sharks equipped with torpedoes. So there's a detonation, and Francois just alerts everyone, oh crap, I think the porpoise just blew up. This is the point where I realized for the first time that the dub translated porpoise as papasu, and I got so mad hearing that said out loud every time. This sucks so much ass. That's that's pretty terrible. I mean, I, I definitely like said, oh fuck you, to the screen when I heard porpoise. Joe is a real Papa Sue. I just can't believe they got Dolphin right and nobody could figure out Papa Sue was porpoise. Thanks for stepping on my bad Mary Sue joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay, that just clicked. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the heroes survived, though, because the torpedoes are proximity detonated. They dodged and it went off near them, not on them. So they fire some chaff to trigger the sensors, and a chain reaction destroys the wall of sharks. But this tips off Belk and the trainee that someone is behind them, so the trainee opens up a chest with Zambrozo's orders, and it just says, Lure them into the Dragon Triangle, Black Ghost's bioweapon test site. Yeah, like, the, the, the trainee is, like, extremely just follow protocol. Why would they write the instructions if they weren't important? I respect that. <laughs> Finally, someone will read all the nice documentation that I write. I'm with Chris mm-hmm. on this. Yeah. That's the uh, only reason I liked Amaro right away. I was like, this guy's, be- this guy's a be- better than my co-worker. He reads the, he reads the fucking manual. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Punma joins the uh, mini-sub as the uh, dolphin appears behind them, and they are in the dragon triangle now. Uh, the BG mini-sub follows uh, instructions and drops a capsule that spits out a red mist behind them as cover. Then uh, they park themselves on the sea floor in a uh, silent running mode. Gilmore uh, begins going on about how this is uh, totally just the Bermuda Triangle, except there is a deep sea devil here, according to the rumors. And uh, this is where the hell jellyfish, the hell jellyfish uh, reveal themselves. Uh, so it turns out that these are designed as a stealthy anti-vehicle weapon. Uh, if they sense a source of energy, they beeline for it and begin draining uh, all the energy out of it. 
the dolphin's engines are killed ASAP, and the sub becomes a sitting duck. Uh, the two people with mechanical lungs are sent out to act as a decoy. It seems smart. Don't get touched. I guess you'll die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> lure the jellies off and let the sub get to freedom. Hey, don't ever let your sub go. <laughs> Bel- <laughs> Belk sees That's this as it works. Upward- it, that is how that works. Why even buy the cage if you're going to let them out? Uh, That's what I mean. Bel- oh, I see. Belk sees this as an opportunity to and uh, tells the trainee to fire their torpedoes. Uh, the trainee refuses simply stating, I take orders from Zambroso, not you, and then they begin fighting. Uh, at this point, everyone is out of ammo, uh, just fucking up all these jellyfish with guns. It's very good. Uh, and begin begin attacking them individually, like just karate chopping jellyfish in half. Uh, yeah, G. Jr. P- splits one with a blow. Until Feudmund is like the only person who's not an idiot and goes get goes and gets the uh, red mist canister, using it to dis- disperse the jellyfish, so the uh, others can get back to the ship safely. Um, the dolphin begins slowly powering up, but something else is out there. Francois hears something massive on the ocean floor below as they flee. So at this point, the only combat cyborgs up and about are Punma and Joe, who were way more maneuverable and dodged the jellyfish. And uh, a- actually, it's because he has slightly thicker skin. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to go into that nonsense. <laughs> and a slowed down Albert, who, with the least organic parts, has wow, the least no, take. no, not okay, Matt. Matt DMs me. Bad joke. <laughs> it's rude to call them mini-subs. They're little slaves, please. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I tried not to put that on the podcast. <laughs> Matt, Matt and I text DM each other jokes that are too spicy for the podcast recording. I think all of us do that to some degree during these sittings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and also Albert is up because he's the one with the least organic parts to have taken on any toxicity. And suddenly they're the only ones up because Francois is taken out of commission by a sonic torpedo. The blast overloads her senses and knocks her the fuck out. This isn't anything the mini-sub had. Zambroso has arrived and he's taking charge of the mission now. He knows he's crippled their sensors and now he's just testing them. The first torpedoes don't score a hit and all he can say is, well, yeah, of course they didn't. These guys are piloting a fully loaded black ghost vessel. There's some back and forth between the sides, and we actually stop seeing anything but Zambrozo's bridge for a bit, leading to them nearly blasting their own mini-sub when uh, Belk turns it back on, and it's the only thing with a sonar signature in the water after everything goes silent. I'm always blasting on my subs. (laughs) God. (laughs) And this is where Belk flips his shit and starts ranting over the radio about, Don't you care about this salvage? You nearly killed us! And Zambrozo's like, No, I really don't care about the salvage. Or you. I have orders to kill the cyborgs. And then someone rams a torpedo into the back of Zambrozo's ship. (laughs) So, uh, Punma uh, is used to naval warfare. That is his uh, thing. And uh, he uh, moved the ship into the wake of the uh, Black Ghost Behemoth while the explosions covered their tracks. Uh, the first strike wasn't a killing blow, but it put them on the offensive for the first time. And 
However, they're not the only ones who can use that trick. Uh, and if Francois didn't wake up in time, they'd be taken out by the torpedoes from their rear because uh, Belk is trying the same move on the mini sub. The dolphin then uh, drops down to the sea floor. In doing so, it uh, means that Belk's bombs blast uh, past the Black Ghost warship. And uh, this is when something in the ocean wakes up. A kraken hauls itself out of the depths and begins uh, crunching the uh, ship in its grasp. And everyone is like completely freaked out by this uh, because uh, nothing in their files indicated there was uh, an actual thing that was the, the deep sea devil. But uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a giant uh, squid with the uh, energy vampirism that the jellyfish had. And it is uh, tearing Zambroso's ship to pieces. Uh, with the ship going down, one of the troops broadcasts an SOS uh, to the Antarctica base, and this is where the uh, the zero zeros uh, pick up the signal and realize, oh, hey, we have a place to go next episode, the uh, Antarctica base. Imagine if they just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty, pretty much, much what happens. Um so the fate of uh, Zambroso's ship is sealed when uh, Belk's flailing causes the trainee to hit a random key on the control panel, which is the boost button. Uh, the mini-sub then kamikazes itself into the warship, and the explosion can be seen uh, when the uh, dolphin surfaces. Uh, at the end of the episode, uh, Joe bids goodbye to his homeland Japan, because presumably it's the first time he's left the country. And although he's at the Bermuda Triangle, that's really far away from Japan, right? The well, they didn't surface for him to wave goodbye until now. I guess fair. Also, it's the Dragon Triangle, which is different than the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, technically this is not the Bermuda Triangle, but it's basically the same thing for all intents and okay. purposes. It's, oh, like a, okay. it's, like a, it's like a Bermuda Triangle, but somewhere, but in Asia, you can tell because it has the word dragon in the name. Well, in the notes it said Bermuda Triangle. I said <laughs> Gilmore basically says, ah, this is like the Bermuda Triangle. Everyone goes Okay, fair here. enough. I didn't know it was like a, like a literal thing. I hadn't heard of it. Uh, but that that actually makes way more sense. Motherfuckers never will uh, see X Files. Get them. <laughs> like if I watch enough anime, I will learn everything about Asia. That's how that works. Oh, buddy. No. Let's talk about Ranma. You can learn a lot about China. <laughs> you, and, you and Guy Gax both have that same opinion, I guess. Look, look. If I watch enough JoJo's and they go to enough countries, I will learn everything about every country. Man, I can't believe. Wow, I can't believe they have communal toilets. Boy, if you think we're racist to Italians on this podcast, have I got a season of JoJo for you? Oh. Look, Fletcher, a guy literally dies from being too Italian. I know. <laughs> oh, no, I was talking about Caesar. I know. <laughs> I'm not uh, saying that, anything because I know you haven't gotten to that arc. This episode sucks, by the way, um, because uh, this was a chance to make Francois not lame by making Francois able to do sonar without the revealing effect of sonar, and they never do anything with that. Yeah. You might get that later. Like, literally designed to make, like give you a huge advantage in submarine combat, and they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, missed opportunities. Everyone's still kind of on the we're getting used to using our powers outside of a lab situation. Mm-hmm. I'm, no, I'm complaining about the showrunners, not that Francois didn't do it. Oh, yeah, that's that's the only excuse I'm going to make. Uh-huh. Yeah. But apparently, uh, Belk and the trainee survive. Uh, 
I thought they were dead, and then they just show up at the end and say, oh, I guess we'll have to go after them at Antarctica. Uh, good job, asshole. It's because they have an entire extra 30 seconds to fill, and they do it with that gag of him turning around the piece of flotsam they're holding on to. Yep. And then uh, later on, uh, one of them di- you know, freezes to death while the other one lies on top. <laughs> okay, imagining that their death is the end of Titanic is pretty good. You're right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's the end of the episode. That takes us into episode 10, the last for this episode. Thank God. Uh, the Aurora Operation. This episode sucks ass. Uh, kind of with you. It's, it's so not bad. the best. Yeah. It, uh, like, I, I have a comment halfway through this. about The emotional core of this episode is it only exists because a child wouldn't listen to their father for 30 seconds more. Yeah. Otherwise, there's mm-hmm. no conflict at all. So the uh, cyborgs are in the dolphin, hovering, flying above the ice of Antarctica endlessly, looking for a sign of Black Ghost. Uh, they're all beginning to crack a bit because this jet puts it, ice, ice, and more ice. Uh, basically just looks the same in every direction forever. Uh, however, they hit a, hit a stroke of luck, possibly in response to a melodramatic prayer from GB. They discover a black ghost transport plane and rise to a higher altitude to trail it unseen. Uh, We cut to the pilots of the plane who are just doing their jobs until a friendly seagull appears outside their window and then it grows teeth, shoves its way in the window, and that's when GB just fucks him up and takes over the plane. Uh, He nearly crashes it in the chaos but manages to right the plane at the last moment. And this is when he hears a woman's voice in the back of the plane um, who has been tied up and been just kind of uh, just generally thrown around the cargo bay by his rough flying. Yeah. Yikes. My back. So it turns out when you have a psychic baby, you can get a lot of information from unconscious zealots. Ivan gets the details of the base out of the pilots, discovers its location, and why there is a random woman on this plane. A Professor Findle is key to a current project, but refuses to work with Black Ghost. The woman on the plane is his daughter, taken hostage to ensure his cooperation. Unfortunately, the pilots don't know what the machine is, and neither does the kid, Cynthia, meaning they're all walking in blind to whatever is happening at this base. So the team, which is in this case uh, GV, Joe, G Jr., and Albert, uh, hop onto the captured transport and resume its flight uh, as the easiest way to get into the base. As they begin to uh, prepare to depart the plane, they find uh, Cynthia has uh, snuck aboard, uh, delivering herself to the base where she'll clearly be held hostage before the episode's end. Uh, well done. So. The guards come aboard and take a tied up Cynthia to her cell. And this is where uh, we meet Professor Findle and the base's commander. Um, Findle laughs and says they'll never finish uh, the machine without him. And this is when they uh, turn on the monitor and the commander, who's been idly uh, cracking a rip whip as he speaks. You do not. You cannot idly crack a whip. That is a lot of energy yeah, that's put not into that motion. That's what he's been doing, though. He's just flipping it around the room. Look, when you when you when you have something in your hand like that, you're just going to whip it around, you know, just because it's there. God, don't I know it. Uh huh. Um, so she says, uh, I wonder what sound uh, this will um, make make near here. Uh? He's basically saying, I'm going to torture the shit out of your daughter without saying I'm going to torture the shit out of your daughter. 
Yeah, I mean, like, it's pretty obvious he's going to whip her. <laughs> and that's yikes. So uh, this is where the doctor snaps and uh, he gives them the last information they need. Uh, for this cooperation, he's taken to her cell, uh, still tied up. So uh, this is the part where if you've literally ever seen an episode of the show before, you already know that Cynthia is just GB. Uh, we see the real Cynthia running through the halls with the cy other cyborgs. Uh, the professor, though, has never watched an anime before, so he is 100% fooled and gives away all of the information. Uh, except for the one thing that ensures their safety. No, no, I'm because... saying, like, if he were smarter, he would have given them everything but one piece, so oh. he had leverage. Because yeah. at this point, so they were just... totally going to kill this guy. Yeah, he gives them all the information because he's fucking stupid. Luckily, the parties meet up, and that just leaves two loose ends. They need to destroy Findle's creation and escape in the plane. Uh, this is this is the part where I get fucking so mad at this episode, is uh, when they're discussing his invention, Cynthia gets offended that he made a super weapon. Not because it's an atrocity, but because Mom was killed by a weapon in the war and she died. <laughs> uh, it's very funny, though, because she's just very upset about weapons in general. And the other cyborgs just over there like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I'm right here. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know how much she knows about these, uh, these, <laughs> these cyborgs. And Nothing. also, Presumably. yeah. I don't know if it, are we going to leave in that part where I complained earlier about this? Go for it. Sure. Because uh, th this uh, the the entire emotional conflict between her and her father only happened because she cuts her father off before he could say it's a weapon that stops other weapons, uh, which she cuts which, him off. So she's just like, "Oh, I can't believe you made an orbital death laser or whatever." Like the thing is, it's it is kind of stupid though. It's extremely of, stupid. Like, oh, if you like, it's an anti weapon weapon. Oh, great! That solves all the problems. What if we made a gun that only shot other guns? <laughs> so what What if this was Enter the Gungeon? Oh, God. This character would be way more acceptable to me if she looked like she was, say, eight. But she looks like she's at least Joe's age. And Joe was also an orphan who had a bad time. And he's miles less yeah, naive. Than she this. looks like 17, which be an anime means she's like at least 25. You should know better. Yeah, I'm saying if she was drawn younger, I would understand this behavior, but she is not acting her age. Well, I mean, the thing is also, I, I would I would say the only way I would buy that is that he's been like, like leaving to go off for work for like months and months at a time, leaving her by herself or like presumably in somebody else's care and saying, oh, I can't talk about my secret uh job thing uh honey it's no big deal and so she's probably been festering like ex like pretty much thinking he's making a super weapon for uh for black ghost or whatever like for a long time and so like yeah like i think she's jumping to a conclusion but she's probably been obsessing about no, it no she literally has never thought about it until this because that's why she goes from zero to nuclear she tells joe would you trust a guy who's basically named dr fondle <laughs> yikes what? You're not wrong. <sighs> uh. So they exit this scene. Uh, GB just says, well, as one weapon to another, we should go introduce ourselves to this thing. And Albert tells Joe, hey, deal with these guys. But as the other cyborgs run off, Findle tells them, you won't be able to stop this without me. And you also don't know where it is. Albert just thinks for a second and goes, welcome aboard. So in theory, Joe should be having the easiest time here, but no, he has to do all the heavy lifting, 
when Cynthia dumps her whole life story on the guy as he's trying to go, hey, I found a way to the surface. <laughs> Cynthia is too stupid to live, and she's upset her father, who is being held at the ass end of the planet, tied up and so uncooperative she had to be kidnapped to make him finish the job. Uh, made... Real powerful Karen energy. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, can I speak to your manager? And I know some of this is just awkward translation, but her hang-up really is, weapons are tools of murder. My mother died to a weapon. They they constantly use that phrasing. It's really, it's not, war killed my mother, she died in a conflict. It's, weapons killed my mom. I do love your friend, the thing you said of <laughs> died to a weapon, which is very good. That's really a quote! That's a direct line! I mean, honestly, someone just needed to tell her, look, Guns don't kill people. Thank God she's never heard music before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Joe finally cuts through all this by going, oh, you feel like you don't have a father anymore, huh? Boy, I've known what that was like my entire life. Are these weapons? I hate this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and that is when the alarms start going off. Yeah. Uh, on the dolphin, Francois hears uh, the noise at the same time as the bass, and Puma sees on their instruments that something has uh, tripped a sensor inside, and the dolphin surfaces as backup. Uh, G Jr. is uh, straight up uh, T-posing down the hall, soaking up uh, every bullet that the guards can throw. <laughs> throw it is! He, he, yeah, he <laughs> put on God, God mode. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Albert is uh, covering their flanks with his uh, patented... Uh, body full of guns uh and missiles so meanwhile uh, gb is uh taking the form of guards and redirecting their reinforcements to other parts of the base because that's how he's useful i guess and uh everyone's uh getting way better at working together uh and it looks like everything's gonna go fine and then uh joe and cynthia make it to the service and meet the dolphin uh as the assault team reaches the lab uh the, the professor says it's at the bottom of this shaft which hi ho uh but it turns out the, the bottom of the shaft opens and the machine rises to meet them because the commander is not dying without a fight. This is the part of the episode where I realize Professor Findle is 1000% Dr. Benton Quest. He looks, yeah, you're right. Look at these photos. You can't tell me that's not a visual inspiration. <laughs> it's definitely there. I will put this in the show notes. Uh-huh. God, the show is so ugly looks worse than Johnny Quest somehow. To be fair, that Johnny Quest was remastered off of Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. It's not SD so, so and HD, this. exclamation mark. Right, yeah, uh, I just realized what I said after I said it. <laughs> it's on Blu-ray in, in glorious standard definition. Uh-huh, love it. Love love 480p stretched across my 55-inch television. Luckily for everyone, the, the weapon shaft rises up, uh, and deposits everyone in the ice field a little ways from where the dolphin is landed, and then we do a big fight scene. The weapon goes off, and all of the cyborgs fall to the ground in ag agony. Uh, Francois has a very horrifying scene that Matt and oh I have already discussed yeah. on the JoJo's pod. Uh, because yeah, this is the she's one like, yeah, she's she's on her back and arching her head back, and like looks like she's about to like crack her spine and Even screaming. Like that, it's awful when everyone's falling. She has this manic look on her face look, and it's just they only got 30 seconds an episode to make something not look like shit and this is where they spent it yeah yeah 
Uh, Yikes. And the humans are just walking around, so the two professors just give exchange anime dialogue. Uh, Findle's Mad Machine Helm 1. What a name. (laughs) I can't believe we're so ableist about machinery. Uh, is simply a device that neutralizes all weaponry, period. Uh, very dumb. It puts out a range of frequencies designed to disarm anything. I hate when sonic w- vibrations turn all my bullets off. Uh, the cyborgs are living weapons, and as a result, are currently trapped in hell. Uh, mm, I actually like that. I like this. I will argue this with you. It's so stupid. Uh, hilariously enough, prof- uh, Professor Findle might be the sole person in the history of sci-fi to be dumb enough to be legitimately tricked into building a super weapon on accident. The concept of the machine is the sort of thing that a dude whose wife just, quote, died to a weapon would make in grief without being completely insane. Uh, it's just that Findle was talented enough that it worked, and uh, rather than being some... Simpsons reference that's in this notes. The some kind of Homer Simpson six legged chair disaster. There was an episode about inventors. Okay. <laughs> uh Gilmore has an idea though. Uh get Chang to do the mole bit, which will protect him from the uh the waves the further below he is, so he pops up underneath it, uh spitting hot rhymes, and the machine is destroyed. Before I remembered what actually happened in this scene, I was convinced the commander turning the device up made it detonate because its anti-weapon properties caused it to self-immolate. Because I mean, we just yeah. suddenly see the earth begin cracking, and then the robot, or then the tank is on fire. That's less dumb than what happens. I I was really laughing until Chang's just giving a peace sign. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's more of like a victory sign. That's true, it would be a V for victory. Either uh-huh, way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Everyone's happy for a minute, we're all safe, and then the episode remembers there are a few minutes left. The commander ran back underground and went, bring every gun ever to the surface, because the no-weapon device is busted now. But the people they're firing on are made of various types of steel and have pocket ray guns, and the dolphin is top of the line for black ghost tech. Nobody is harmed an inch, the tanks are destroyed ASAP. The commander starts strafing them in a jet, which I have no idea how you have a jet that is able to function at Arctic temperatures. Those things are finicky fucks. And jet flies up and mm-hmm. one hit KOs the thing. Commander dies. This happens a lot. You could tell this is the part of the episode where nothing is happening and I got really bored in these notes. I do enjoy the part where the base is on fire after the commander's crash and everyone is staring on as sad music plays. Because mm-hmm. all I can think that's getting this expression out of them is damn, all these fascists on fire and we don't got any marshmallows. Rip. Also terrible, the final conversation is barely animated. It legit fades to white repeatedly to avoid showing people moving or speaking. The humans are just talking over snapshots of Findle and his daughter getting on a plane. And then they leave the series forever. Yeah, and they kind of try to sell it like, oh, it uh, Joe and this uh, girl were gonna like be a thing, but oh no, they sadly have to leave each other. And it's like, why? Why do you even throw that in? It's, it's also, the English dialogue was way longer than the Japanese dialogue, so like you hear the voice for the other person. Hmm. Oh yeah. Uh. Well, actually, actually, I was watching the sub, so it's literally yeah. 
because the well no because the subtitles would be I guess they would be for the dub so it's just the like no the not subtitles even time, are completely different yeah it's not even timed correctly to like who's speaking it's very bad this last chunk is super messy <laughs> it's it's um we barely got this episode out the door this week shit this episode sucks a lot of ass yeah so eh, does the last yeah. one yeah I'm I'm a little upset that we go out. This is where we start being in the middle of anime original stuff uh, for a little while, and it's hit or miss. Okay. I mean, like, I I would say, like, those middle episodes, the like the 0013 episodes, you know, had some stuff going on. It did, did cool stuff with scale, but, like, yeah, the underwater one, kind of forgettable. This one, definitely forgettable. I mean, except for, like, the bit of uh, Francois, like, just freaking out, because that's horrifying. Yeah, I probably have to put a screenshot of that in the notes, too. Yeah, that was was enough that it came up on the JoJo's pod, because this was the episode where uh, Jotaro got caught on fire, and it was also, like, equivalently gruesome. Yeah. For way less time, though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Uh, they didn't have to pad. But did, have you not seen that episode? I disagree. It was the episode where the car is the stand. Uh huh. I like that one, but I, I like also, it. But also, it's also just weird that Iraqi referenced an old Spielberg movie out of nowhere. Well, it, it's a it's a ZZ Top reference. What? No, it's to the film Duel. Is it? Because I'm pretty the sure dri- that's the car the driver from the Eliminator is album. Yeah, the car is neat. The, the driver is ZZ Top Fletcher. Yeah, but I just mean the whole plot of that episode was ripped from a 70s Spielberg movie. Was it? Yeah, Duel. I do not. I have not heard of this. The the part where they're trying to figure out who it is that's driving the thing at the bar is straight out of that movie. Interesting. We did not know that. It's an incredibly blatant ripoff. In that film, it's a guy in a car and it's a semi-driver who's chasing him. Hmm. But uh, anyway, like I, I would say that like there's some real up and downs in this stretch here because there are some definitely low lows. But even so, like I think the bad episodes here are still better than like I don't know episode four or whatever. Like I feel like it's got a little bit more footing in the setting than uh, the earlier episodes did, like now, the first batch. Next season, we have to watch something unquestionably cool the entire time, like Monster. Yeah. Oh, I don't want. I've any heard. Of this. I've heard good things. I don't want any of this. It's okay. Sometimes shit. I fucking love monster. You will not have any objection from me. All right, that's what we're doing next. All right, I'm down. All right, okay. yeah, that's a good job. Be the first one to. without robots, right? Yes. That's, well, I guess that's, they're cyborgs, <laughs> Matt. Why are you denying their humanity? There was a robot last episode or two episodes ago. What? No, it wasn't. Zero zero thirteen controlled a robot. Yeah, the thirteen robo. Uh, uh, Mm. There are robot sharks. Mm-hmm. Were they? Yes. I, I missed the part. And I must have missed the part where they were sh- robot sharks, and I'm just like, man, my man out here just shooting torpedoes at random sharks. <laughs> Did you not see the part where bombays came out of them and launched? No, them because this because it sucked ass, and I was playing Cookie Clicker on my phone instead of watching. This sucked ass, so I was playing the most basic bitch idol game in the world. Good job, Chris. You played yourself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Look, 
I'm waiting for updates for the other idle games that I play because I am uh, at the end game of both Kittens game, Realm Grinder, and uh, Armory and Machine 2. Have you messed with NGU? No. You should. It stands for Numbers Go Up, which tells you a lot. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is this available on my Android device? I think it is. I will check later. But speaking of later, we'll be back in two weeks with episodes 11 through 15, where we'll start getting some character episodes and the anime's adaptation of the Vietnam arc. I hope you're ready. Right. See ya.